0: So, Gordon, I'd like to welcome you up to give the sermon. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Gordon Carroll, um, one of the elders in the church. Um, welcome to Agape Kingdom Fellowship. And I'm a little bit parched today, so I'm going to be drinking some water, but I hope that doesn't distract anybody. I've got a little bit of a horse throat. So today's sermon is an updated sermon I did years ago titled armor of god now i'm giving the updated version because on february the 6th i'm going to do the second part which is the warrior of god which we'd wanted to do back when i did the other one but we never quite got around to it so i'll go into in that part into the christian's weapons versus just our armor what our armor is we're going to go over today and then next time we'll go into our weapons and how we deploy both our armor and our weapons effectively in the world. So let's start at the beginning. Why do we as Christians need armor? And what exactly is our armor? In Romans 13, Paul says that love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. I do a lot of talking about the law of love, Um, And this kind of gets into a portion of that. Paul also says, And do this knowing the time that now it is, high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I love the way Paul says that, because every day it's nearer than when we first believed, right? So for us, a couple thousand years later, it is definitely nearer now. Than it was when we first believed or when he first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So what is armor? Armor is protection, a safeguard, something that shields us. In the most naked case, we can first look at our skin, this relatively thin coating that covers our muscles and ligaments, tendons, veins, and other vital organs. It's light armor that does an incredible job of protection. Not only does it do an awesome job of keeping our vitals on the inside, which is good, But it also keeps most of the bad stuff out. Bacteria, viruses, pathogens. In fact, just about everything that does get into us, in reference to these nasties, slips past the skin by way of either the nose, the mouth, or the eyes. It doesn't get through our skin. Very little makes it past there. So we've got our skin as armor, but there are sharp things out there, out in the real world. Sharp, hard, hot, cold, they can get through our skin. So to help our armor, we layer, right? We wear clothes. Clothes are really just extra armor, extra protection. Shoes to protect our feet, pants and shirts to protect against the sun and the wind and the cold, gloves for our hands, helmets for our heads, especially if we are doing sports like football or riding motorcycles or hockey. We even have different armor for different occupations. Some require more, and some require less. A cook needs different gloves than a hockey player. We call the cook's gloves oven mitts. And the cook needs them so she doesn't burn her hands taking hot things out of the oven. A fireman needs even more armor to protect against the heat. Why? Because he isn't taking something out of the oven. He's going into the oven with his entire body. So he needs armor all over just to survive. Now soldiers certainly need a lot of armor. Back when I was in the Marine Corps 40 years ago, I had a flak vest, helmet, camouflage utilities, a web belt, an alice pack, gloves, boots, gun belt, even a first aid kit to help patch up any holes that I might get in my first level armor, my skin. Now... We could all dress in seven layers of goose down with muckle-up ear flaps. Does anybody know what those are? Those so it's like Russian hats that we used to have to wear them on, uh, as a sheriff's deputy all the time back in the old days. They're really silly looking, but man, would they keep your head warm. Nothing would keep your head as warm as a muckle-up. Uh, moon boots and giant insulated gloves in case global warming should bring about an unexpected ice age. But it wouldn't be very practical, and most of us would probably end up with heat stroke. But in certain jobs, more armor is required, or at least recommended as a safeguard. As a cop, now retired, I wore armor, both physical and mental. The very first bit of armor a cop brings to the job is bearing, or professional appearance. We in the law enforcement community refer to it as command presence. Rookies often have a hard time with this due to lack of experience, and it makes it difficult for them to control a scene. Let's say you have to walk up to two drunks about to get into a fight in a bar. If you're too timid and not sure of yourself and your capabilities, and you kind of slouch up, maybe stutter and hedge, and telling them exactly what you want them to do and when, then you just might get a quick lesson in bar fighting 101. I've seen it happen lots of times. But if instead, you walk in with a take-charge attitude, looking professional, stating clearly what they are going to do, you have a much better chance of being the professor of the class rather than a student. Now, along with bearing comes demeanor. If you're a real jerk, we've all seen people in authority that are real jerks, right? Just barking out orders and acting all arrogant without listening or caring about who's right or what caused what, then you're going to end up getting hurt. And worse, you're probably going to get your partners hurt, too. In the police community, we call it badge heavy. Uh, it's where you think that just because you're wearing a badge, you can go in and you can just make everybody do anything you want, and they'll just do it automatically. And that works until somebody tells you to do something anatomically impossible. <laughs> and then, if you continue to push it, if you're lucky, you get your butt kicked a little bit, And then after that, you learn to not act like that anymore. Some people never learn it, and they put everybody in danger. But most people do learn it after a couple of rough sessions. So that's good. Now, along with bear, oh, I already did a demeanor. If you're, um, I'm sorry. I remember a case maybe 25 years ago where a buddy copy of mine with a rookie trainee made a stop of a running suspicious vehicle behind a liquor store on Parker Road up near Evans. And you guys know where that's at? It's up in our District 5 where where I used to work. But this liquor store used to get robbed all the time. So inside the car were four young guys. And they have the car running behind it. This is like at 11 o'clock at night, dark. That's usually a case where somebody's getting ready to rob the store. But not always. Sometimes they're just like buying alcohol for underage kids. So inside were these four guys. It turns out the two of them were old enough to buy booze. So my buddy just had to ascertain if the older guys were buying it for the younger guys or what they were doing. So he went inside to talk to the owner while he left his trainee, a brand new rookie, out to search the car. He asked me to stay there to watch him to make sure he did a good, good search of the car. So this guy goes through the car and he does terrible He's new, so that's understandable, but I mean, he just, that's terrible. He's shaking, he's not checking where he should be checking, and the four guys standing out that I'm covering, they're all looking at him all like nervous. I can tell just by their demeanor that there's something in that car. I, of course, um, being with K9, I'm thinking drugs, So I'm always thinking drugs, which is a danger. You shouldn't always think anything. You should think everything all the time. But I'm watching them. I see that there's something in that car. He gets done. He goes, nope, nothing in there. I said, okay, now you watch them and I'll search the car. So I go in and I start searching the car. Well, underneath the front passenger seat, I can see a PVC pipe with my flashlight. And this is, you know, 11 o'clock at night. So I can see this PVC pipe. So I'm like, ah, that's where they've got their drugs hidden in there. So I'm reaching back in there, and I finally get hold of it. I can't quite get it because of the seat and everything else, and I'm dragging it out. I finally get it out, and I don't want them to see that I found it because I want to find out from them what it is. So I unscrew the cap real quick, and I look inside, and these, there's these strange-looking little briquettes. They're like really, like really small chunks of car- charcoal, but they're in perfect uniformity, and it's full of it. It's a PVC pipe about this, fall, about this long with uh, in screwed on both sides. So I'm looking in there, and I'm shining with my flashlight. Luckily, I didn't have a lighter, because that would have been bad. But uh, I'm looking with my flashlight, and I'm like, what in the world is this stuff? I have no idea. I've, said, I've never seen anything like it. So I screw the cap back on real quick, and I bring it out. And I'm like, I'm going to get them to tell me what this is. So I get out, and I go, oh, look what I found. And they're all like, and I look. And one of the guys, his knees start actually clicking together. He's so scared. And I'm like, Okay, how am I going to get these guys to tell me what this is? Well, as I look down, I see the fuse coming out from between my fingers. It's a pipe bomb. So I'm thinking drugs. It's a pipe bomb. Well, the most common thing that happens with pipe bombs is that when you unscrew them, you get a little bit of the, of the gunpowder in there, and it blows up. That's how a lot of guys, most manufacturers, when they're making bombs, it's either putting the lids on or taking them off. That's usually when it gets blown up. So I just did the absolute cardinal sin of looking for bombs by unscrewing it in there, screwing it back on. That's at least two times I could easily have gotten blown up. Pure fortune that it didn't happen because it could have. So one of my buddies comes up to me and I, I said, look at what he's got. He's got a pipe bomb in here. And he goes, and a pipe bomb's a lot more serious than drugs, all right? Because it's a big-time felony. So he goes, really? Let me see. Unscrews it. I'm like, no, no, no. You're not supposed to unscrew it. Remember? And he goes, oh, yeah. Screws it back on. And I'm like, so luckily we all lived. When the bomb tech got up there, his name was Joe Dempsey, and he was a great guy from New York, and he was awesome. He comes up, and he goes, hey, Gordon, how you doing? He goes to shake my hand. I go to shake his hand. He grabs my wrist, holds it up, and goes, you're lucky. (laughs) So that was my experience with bombs. And I was very thankful that uh, I made it through that. Okay. And so did my buddy. However, for decades later, in every bomb class, my name was brought up. So that's the way those things go when you do something like that. So let me get past that. So now knowledge, knowledge is also part of our armor. In that case, I didn't have enough knowledge. I should have been thinking outside of drugs and into bombs. Uh, Knowing just what we can do and what we are doing alongside of what we're capable of doing, as well as judging against what you are not allowed to do or not capable of doing is vital, especially in police work, because... Sometimes you can arrest somebody for something, and if you know that, it gives you an edge. If you don't know that that person can be taken into custody at that point in time, you're still kind of loosey-goosey playing it. It's been said that knowledge is power, and it's true, because power is also a form of armor. Power can safeguard you. Um, If I knew as a cop that someone had actually broken a law, then that gave me the authority to treat them in a completely different manner than if they hadn't broken a law and just that knowledge that knowing that I could take them to jail if necessary gave me the edge that I wouldn't otherwise have and it oftentimes allowed me to do to end the situation peacefully whereas otherwise it might have needed force now we as Christians we have a job to do we are ambassadors in Christ We are tasked with spreading the good news and to help strengthen our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And just as a police officer needs to be able to adopt a command presence, so too must we. Jesus didn't go around with his shoulders slumped and his head hanging low. No. The Bible says Jesus spoke with authority. In Matthew 7, 29... Jesus, it says, for Jesus taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus knew what he was talking about. He knew he was right, obviously. And he went about telling everyone exactly what the truth was. Authority is another word for bearing and demeanor. Jesus had command presence. I guarantee it. Jesus spoke with authority because he knew that what he was saying was true and that it was good. We as ambassadors for Christ should emulate him. Let us carry ourselves and speak with authority because we know the truth. The lost, they don't know the truth. They're dead in their sin, and we have to remember that. It's you and it's me that know how to bring them to the knowledge of life, and it's our job to offer them that knowledge. But don't do it cheapishly, like a rookie cop. Do it like a veteran, with authority. But first, be sure your armor is fixed up, polished. As many dents and dings as you can hammer out, hammered out. Because the enemy will try, in, the enemy will try very hard to get past your armor, to damage you, the you on the inside of your armor. And that's dangerous for us. So how do we make sure that our armor is up to the challenge? We study. We question. We read God's word. We spend time with him. We communicate. We learn more and more about him as we grow in our relationship with him. So we spend time with him. We communicate with him. We talk to him. And we learn more about him. And the more time we spend with God in his word, in prayer, talking with him, gaining knowledge of him, really cementing the law of love in our minds and in our hearts and in our understanding, the stronger our armor grows. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, but in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses. "...in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessnesses, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, the Bible, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, on the right hand and on the left." by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, rejoicing, as poor yet making ri- many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. These are our marching orders as ambassadors and soldiers of God here on the earth. By authority and command bearing, uh, I'm sorry, but authority and command bearing aren't all we need. The next item in a cop's armor is a bullet-resistant vest. Now, I don't call it a bulletproof vest because nothing's perfect. Bullets can get through. They can, if they rip up, they jaggedly can cut through. I had a friend that had that happen to him. Um, but they're resistance. They stop most bullets, and they certainly help. Now, a bullet-resistant vest is made most commonly of a substance called Kevlar. It's basically a woven synthetic fiber that's put together in a crosshatch pattern designed to bind up and stop a spinning projectile doesn't always work great against knives. Inside barrels of guns, there's a continuous groove designed to spin the bullet, and it gives it far greater accuracy and distance. It's called rifling. Now, when the spinning bullet hits the crosshatch Kevlar, it binds it up. Stopping is forward motion. So if you can think of a crosshatch like this, as a spinning bullet hits it, it gets caught up in those fibers, and it just stops it like that. It stops its momentum. Now, in my, seven, in my 35 years as a cop, I've seen a lot of fellow cops saved by their vest. Two of my very good friends were saved. Both of them shot at different times. <clears throat> One of my friends, uh, his name was Travis Stewart. He's a real, real good guy. Um, in fact, uh, we worked together for a long time. Uh, he finally became a Christian, and a great, godly, upstanding man now. But before he was a Christian, he got shot in the chest with a bullet by a guy named Jesse James. It's not the Jesse James you're thinking of, but this guy thought he was his reincarnated ancestor. Uh, him and a buddy of his were going through Colorado Springs, just robbing places left and right, mainly King Supers. I don't know how much you get out of the King Supers. But they were making a career of it, I can tell you that. Well, they came up our way, and he spotted them. So he started following him. And while he's calling in the uh, cavalry to come in to help, they go down into a cul de sac, turn around, and they gun it right at him. So he swerves to the side as they come past him. Jesse James takes his gun out the window and shoots. So 44 Magnum, pretty tough gun. Hit his window frame, or actually the, uh, yeah, his window frame, bounced up and caught him right here in the chest. The bullet fragmented and a couple of sections actually made it through his vest and cut his chest, but saved his life, otherwise he would have been dead. He ended up chasing him. They took him all the way down Parker Road. They crashed him into a telephone pole and they took him all into custody. Jesse James was not as brave as his predecessor. He chickened out and gave up right at the end. The other guy was a guy named Dave Cernitz. He was a good buddy of mine, and he went up on a traffic stop. He had no idea that he was stopping a car that had just been stolen, and they had done a robbery. And It was actually two 17-year-olds, and one of them was lying down in the back seat like this with his feet against the uh, driver's side door, aiming the gun, waiting for Dave Cernich to walk up on the traffic stop, which he did, and as soon as he got abreast of the car and looked in the car, bam, he shoots him right in the chest. Luckily, his vest saved him also. He took off. Dave returned fire, hit the car a few times. We finally found them at uh, Cherry Creek State Park, and they were taken into custody too. But both of them were saved because they were wearing their armor. Now, in both cases, if my buddies hadn't been wearing their vests, they would have been either severely wounded or killed. Armor, always wear your armor. Christians, always wear your armor. If the Bible's in, if your Bible's in the closet or a drawer, get it out, dust it up, don it, wear it. After the vest, the police officer has his belt. Now, not his hold up his pants belt. You know, as I've gotten older, my belt doesn't hold up my pants as well anymore. <laughs> I need a bottom. But his duty belt, his gun belt, it's a great and heavy responsibility. A police officer's duty belt. It's like Batman's bat utility belt. We carry just about everything that we need on it. And a lot of things we probably don't. But, and that's what makes it heavy, all the things we carry on it. We carry our guns, of course, along with extra magazines full of heavy bullets. You wouldn't believe how, bullets, how heavy bullets get, but they get heavy pretty fast. We carry a flashlight, handcuffs, pepper spray, tourniquet, keys, baton. Some guys carry their gloves. Some guys carry fingernail clippers. You ever get on a scene where a guy's got a bad hangnail infection? We can take care of that. So you just carry just about everything on it. If we think we might need it, and we have the girth to carry it, that's why a lot of cops eat donuts, so they can carry more things on their belt, we do it. It's just the best policy. And we as Christians need our armor every bit as much as any police officer or soldier because it's dangerous out there. Non-believers can be as dangerous to our souls and psyches as any criminal is to our lives. And if we go out without our armor, we are placing ourselves and others in danger. We will be in danger because our faith could be damaged. And they, the other, themselves and other people, will be in danger because we won't be able to give a proper defense of the faith, which we are charged to do. Now, when I first heard the word of God as a boy of 12... I was energized I was charged up and ready to do battle with an incredible zeal but I didn't have any armor I had no protect protection against what I would be coming up against and believe me I came up against it the church I started going to didn't have that great of an armorer and as such he sent me out to combat with inferior shielding I didn't know this of course I had no experience They tossed me a helmet that had no chin strap, a dent in the side, no face shield. But to a 12-year-old, it seemed great. It was a Baptist church, and I don't want to say anything against Baptists. I love the Baptists. They're pretty close to us, and they're really good at some things, but they're pretty weak on others. No chin strap? Wishy-washy on young versus old earth. That's the kind of stuff they would teach. No face shield? Doesn't know exactly when the body of Christ started or that Paul was its first member. Because the Baptists don't have a clue about that. A dent in the side of the helmet requires baptism, a work of the law, to join the church. So if we have to actually get baptized to join the church, which is a work of the law, which is not for the body of Christ, then that's a weakness. That's a dent in the armor if you go out and try teaching. that, or That's what you have, and other people can argue against it. All weaknesses that show that the Bible is contradictory and at odds, With its own writings, making it hard to defend, hard for us to defend, and it's vulnerable to its critics. Weak and damaged armor, not good in a war, and make no mistake, we are in a war. My armor sent me out to battle with damaged and inferior. uh, uh, My armor sent me out to battle with damaged and inferior armor. The result being that by high school, where the public school system kept its big guns like evolution and teenage hormones, I had virtually no armor strong enough to mount a viable defense. And so I fell. I actually became an atheist for decades. And then I got new armor from the world. And it was shiny and bright and tough, or so I thought. Armor like evolution wasn't until decades later when I ran up against the nuclear warheads that the Bible really has in its pages, weapons that shredded the false armor of the world's lies like so much aluminum foil, and granted holy armor that is impenetrable, invulnerable, a free God, rightly dividing the word of truth, the reality of the global flood, the true age of the earth. Symbolism, metaphor, idiom. Understanding when and how to take the word in context, which by its very nature explains if a passage is literal, metaphorical, idiom, or a combination working on multiple levels. With this armor, the falsities of biblical contradiction bounce off our titanium breastplates like spitballs shot from a straw. The ridiculous arguments for magical evolution can't make a dent or a scuff in our shine. And the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, well, they're trampled under booted feet by the reality of the law of love. We here at Agape Kingdom Fellowship are very fortunate. We have excellent armorers, but we have more. We also have excellent weapons, instructors, and excellent tacticians we have what we need to properly equip ourselves to go out and do our jobs effectively and as safely as they can be done this doesn't mean none of us will fall a bulletproof vest doesn't stop a head wound you need your helmet for that and if you left your helmet in the locker well that's on you the bible and the reality of our god is our armor put them on Every day, all the way. In February, we'll, have, we'll move past just the invincible armor to unstoppable weaponry that is at our disposal. But in the meantime, let me leave you with Paul's writing and encouragement in the book of Ephesians. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God This is Paul talking. The boldest guy since Jesus, probably. And he's telling us what we should be doing. May we all stand against the world in God's full armor so that one day we might kneel before the Lord and make this same bold pronouncement. In conclusion, going back to Romans 13, Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. The Lord Jesus Christ is our armor. So what is armor? Our armor, our protection, our safeguard? It is armor the Lord himself. And against him, nothing can hope to to stand against us. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for letting us all meet here in your church. Father, we ask that you, you gird us, you armor us, you help us to seek you out to become stronger every day. Guide us, show us the path, Help us to reach out to those who are lost so that we can bring them to you and help us to strengthen each other. Father, we love you. We thank you for your Son, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.